Hi everybody and good morning and good afternoon from New Zealand. This is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development here on behalf of our emergency management team. And we're delighted to have with us Chris Tantlinger, who's the chief of the Westmoreland County Hazardous Materials Response Team and also the Deputy Emergency Manager Coordinator. Great to have you with us, Chris. Hello, great to be here. I'd love for you to introduce one of your team members, Michael, who's with us as well. Uh, Michael Bertolino is our finance and admin chief for the Department of Public Safety in the county and also a former U.S. Marine and former fire chief for the city of Jeanette, um, which is within Westmoreland County. How you doing? Great to have you with us, Michael. Thanks for being here. Chris, I always think one of the one of the marks of a great leader is when someone brings their team with them and they don't just go it alone. So thanks for bringing part of your team with us today. I appreciate that. You're welcome. They can pick up the slack for us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, um, you've had a, a long and, and storied career in emergency management and fire safety. I'd love for you to just, just tell us how you got interested in this particular industry, what sparked your I had been in the private industry uh, in specialty construction and we had probably been everything from uh, pipeline uh, construction and inspection to uh, demolition of hazardous materials facilities and uh, also just general construction for utilities, uh, water, sewer, uh, fiber optic, cable, power, and uh, that was uh, the first half of my career. And then later came into um, the hazmat coordinator position within the county. And is this something that you dreamed about when you're in high school or did you just step into it? Well, it was interesting. Uh, when I was uh, in first grade in, in school, um, we had a fire drill the first week of first grade and uh, that was interesting. Well, the next week, uh, the school burned down and uh, we were we were uh, rushed wow. out of the building and we went to follow the fire drill that we had practiced the week before. And uh, we couldn't go that direction. The uh, the main entrance entrance was full of smoke and we had to go out the fire escape, which we actually didn't practice that in the fire drill. And then uh, we were ushered out to the center of uh, the property. It was a St. Xavier's preparatory school. And uh, we watched all the fire trucks come in and then the fire ensued because uh, it was an old type class A structure, wood frame built, uh, very beautiful school, but uh, it, it burned to the ground. And uh, we were there in the middle of that. And so that was my first uh, inclination. And then of course, uh, if you're familiar with the the emergency show here in the U.S. Um, with John Gage and the Los Angeles Fire Department. You know, watching that, growing up with that, it always was a, a part of part of that. And then uh, later on, um, my grandfather and uncles were uh, part of the original charter of uh, a township fire department, and they actually built the fire station and, and were a part of that. So I got to see that as well. And as I got into my pre-teens. So. What a great experience seeing that, that established. Yeah, it, it really, it really was. And, and really got to see that 
you know, it's, it's all about helping others. And uh, that's what it is at the end of the day. So, Chris, I see that Bud has joined us as well. Um, I hope that Bud can jump on with us and, and get his camera on as well. Would you like to introduce Bud? Yes. <clears throat> um, Bud is the director of uh, public safety here in Westmoreland County. Um, I've known Bud for about 15 years, and uh, he was part of the Pennsylvania Emergency Management Agency and uh, also a director of operations at the, at the Commonwealth level for response uh, for a period of time in Homeland Security. And so now he's my boss and uh, we work uh, hand in hand daily. Uh, so it's, uh, we got a great team here. Hi, bud. <laughs> oh, bud, you don't have audio, but we are able to see you on video. I should be good now. You are good now. Yeah, well, I said good afternoon or whatever time it is over there, but uh, uh, thank you for the introduction. And uh, we're proud that uh, of uh, Chris's accomplishments to uh, be recognized uh, uh, for him to share his story and his thoughts uh, uh, for his presentation. Thanks for being here, bud. Really appreciate it. And also, Michael, firstly, thank you for your service. How did you um, get involved in emergency management and fire safety? On my side, I was, um, it was pretty easy when I had a, uh, uh, a father that was uh, a volunteer fireman and, uh, a, a, and my mother and father both were um, in the emergency medical fields as well. Uh, so I, I grew up in not knowing any different. So uh, uh, I became a junior fireman at the earliest age of 10. Uh, and then in, into a fire explorer troop at the uh, age of 14, and I'm still at it. I was uh, very fortunate to have career paths that followed that, aligned with that as well, um, in between the uh, Pennsylvania State Police as being a dispatcher, and then moving into, um, after 9-11, uh, moving into the uh, uh, Pennsylvania Office of Homeland Security, uh, and then the Pennsylvania Emergency Management Agency. So there, I had 35 years in state government, basically. Um, retired, and uh, I was sitting at home for a few weeks enjoying my retirement, and I got a phone call saying, that, hey, you're retired now, and we kind of like need a, a director out here for our county public safety department. What do you think? I turned them down once, and uh, but they were persistent. So here I am, almost eight years later, I'm still at it. Back in the saddle. Yes, exactly. And I, I wouldn't want it any other way. It's it's uh, uh, as frustrating as it is, it's also rewarding. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being here with us this morning, bud. Michael, why don't you share with us your your background as well? Well, basically, I uh, I pretty much mimic Bud's uh, story there. I grew up with my uh, family being in a volunteer fire department, so that was just the way that it's been. I uh, went to school for criminal justice with a bachelor's degree and became out. I uh, went to the military for a military policeman, figuring that's what I wanted to do uh, when I graduated, I ended up becoming a fireman. So total opposites of the spectrum there, but 
once I retired from the fire department, um, this position came open and I had applied for it. Once you retired, you then applied for this position? Yes. <laughs> Seems to be a bit of a theme going on here, Chris, that there yeah, is no retirement. Chris, tell us about um, hazmat. Um, not every every state, every country actually has a specific hazmat or hazardous materials department or team that look after that. So why do you think it's important? The, uh, the industrialization and the transportation networks are so ubiquitous and they contain and carry hazardous materials, you know, consistently. And then they interconnect all of the, the modern progress of, um, of the industrial complex that it, it uses chemicals. And, and so that being the case and, and pipelines and uh, all of those things can all fail. And in their failure, we need to be able to, to respond and mitigate them. So I, that's really the true importance of that. And, and after, uh, you know, the, the great uh, <clears throat> highway act of the 1960s in uh, the United States, where we were interconnecting everything, you know, that's when uh, hazmat transportation became, you know, people were dying uh, and they needed to have a way to mitigate that. So Westmoreland County was a part of that um, in 1980, actually, when it started. So we had 40 years here with our team. Chris, I noticed that uh, Tony from the UK is here with us. He's one of our master's level students. He's a very senior fire assessor and uh, he's working on his thesis about um, how pollution can enter the environment through the way that um, fire response happens with overflow of water. And one of our other master's students who's in the UAE is focused on critical infrastructure and how that needs to be uh, prepared for and teams need to work together, particularly with hazardous materials. And so I just, I think our master's students and our bachelor's students in emergency management would be interesting. It would be interesting for them to hear some of those principles and systems that you've put in place, particularly to look after critical infrastructure in your area. Yeah, I, I think something that I gained knowledge on is um, the Disaster Mitigation Act of 2000 um, asked all of, uh, you know, our local municipalities to look at how uh, we can mitigate any hazard. And, and with that, of course, anything that would involve hazardous materials would be a part of it. And when you look to mitigation, they want you to go back to when everything began or was founded or it started to be built upon. So if you take the city of Pittsburgh, that was built around three rivers, which is just a, a little bit to our west uh, here in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, that's where everything was built and, and the city built up and the steel industry, you know, went around the world uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, but by doing that, uh, you now have put, uh, you know, all of this industrial complex right next to three rivers that sustain society. So now you had to manage that. And, and they had a pollution problem from the, the beginning with the steel making and 
they had to deal with that. And then eventually everything that followed with transportation and networking the city throughout the country. And um, I think it's important that anytime you look at any of this is you try to go back to what the natural state of the area was. And then you look at what interconnected um, things were built upon that. And by doing that, you will understand the progression and then uh, what you may need to consider as mitigation based on all of those systems that have been that been put into it. And uh, once you understand that and you go to the historical uh, sense, then you you can understand how uh, you can move forward and what the what the best way to to plan for either a catastrophic incident or for the future. Chris, really happy for you to defer to Michael or Bud and invite them to join into the conversation on any of these topics as well. And I wanted to dig a little bit deeper in your in your county and in your area that you're responsible for. What are some of the, the specific critical infrastructure that are there and how do you mitigate, prepare for and respond to them differently? So one of the major things is pipelines. And uh, we have... Uh, compressor stations that uh, the uh, resource of uh, oil and gas and, and other commodities come through our county and uh, they are then distributed out through the Northeast. And um, with that, uh, we have underground storage areas uh, of propane that um, in, in some instances, we're talking about uh, half a million barrels a day that flow through there. And uh, the, uh, we've, we've actually had incidents and we had one uh, pipeline explosion uh, in one of our townships. And um, we have spent a lot of time working with the, uh, the infrastructure leaders for those those pipelines and uh, always uh, meeting them uh, prior to a disaster face-to-face -to, -face to understand, you know, what their operational considerations are. And then uh, we put into it um, our idea of safety, evacuation and response, and also what we would do with the fire service to, to assist mitigating that. So. Uh, that's that's one major um, critical infrastructure that we deal with. And then we have uh, the railroads, uh, which uh, run through 75% uh, of our county. Um, and they're the major uh, <clears throat> intercontinental uh, railroads that uh, go from the east to the west. And uh, we have had many incidents with that. And then we have an airport. Uh, that we've had, uh, we've had several plane incidents and air crashes, and and uh, even um, one other thing that occurred is uh, Flight 93 uh, from the September 11th incident. Uh, we received a phone call at our 911 center here uh, from Flight 93, and and by that uh, also Bud was uh, with the state police and help helping coordinate at the Flight 93 site as well. So 
Bud could uh, relay some of that story being there directly. Yeah, it's, um, I uh, spent the first eight days up at uh, the Flight 93 um, crash site. Um, instantly, it became a, um, a biohazard uh, situation for the first responders. And um, uh, aside from that being the act of terrorism as well, uh, a huge criminal investigation. And the amount of resources um, needed to respond to that um, to assist in both the terrorism criminal investigation as well as the uh, health and safety uh, part of it uh, was uh, huge. And um, uh, the uh, support that you needed not only for the investigators and the first responders, uh, um, you know, but uh, all, the, all the other people that responded as well. Um, it, you know, became that disaster within a disaster, basically, because uh, there was a, a large amount of human support that you had, that you have had to have presence there. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's an amazing thing when you deal with um, emergency management uh, because you just don't realize the interdependencies that is required. You know, and, and no matter if it's going to be a uh, um, a vehicle accident at an intersection, or a uh, a, a huge explosion at a uh, building or a plane down or anything like that, the interdependencies to respond, um, as well as the reliances on on those um, uh, infrastructures, just uh, become become uh, a an issue within an issue. Anyhow. Tell us a bit more about that, if you can, Bud, about some of the challenges with such a, a big event as that, working with different agencies and organizations and how you navigate those challenges of helping teams work together. Yeah, it was um, it was unique. Uh, first of all, being there on the Pennsylvania State Police side, it was uh, part of the criminal investigation and scene security uh, was the, uh, um, the priority as we pulled in there and um, you know, the first thing is uh, some type of accountability because there's so many responders that are there. You have to figure out who's there, why they're there. Um, with the state police, we set up two uh, security perimeters, a, uh, a, well, actually three. We had a hot zone uh, perimeter, a warm zone, and a, and a cold zone perimeter to uh, keep people out and to keep control of the, uh, of the scene as much as we possibly could. Um, the uh, uh, simultaneously, then you have to, you know, do your, uh, uh, you know, develop your uh, operational uh, incident action plan, so to speak, that you can uh, understand what your next moves are uh, and your future moves are going forward and making sure that you have the resources uh, there uh, to uh, provide that. Um, <laughs> And then again, it goes back to taking care of everybody. You know, everything from the the port of Johns, uh, and uh, you know, you're in the middle of a field out of nowhere. But you know, uh, you know how are how are people going to uh, you know even wash their hands and and that type of stuff? Um, feeding them. Um, it was a 24 hour a day operation. I served eight days there, and uh, I know that it it continued even longer after I left. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's not just the, the response to the plane down. It's not just the criminal mm. investigation, but it's all the interdependencies that you have to deal with uh, that's connected with that response. Mm. Wow. You know, it, it, it was funny. It was like, um, I, I remember making phone calls about um, uh, getting horse feed into the scene. And you know, horse feed, well, we had the Pennsylvania State Police had a mounted patrol that was working in between the warm zone and the cold zone, keeping, um, you know, everybody out. And, uh, you know, we probably had about uh, 12 or 16 uh, mounted horsemen there. So uh, where do you put them to go to sleep? Uh, how are you going to feed them? How are you going to take care of them? Those are all things that, uh, you know, you have, you have pre-plans, but when you're in the middle of nowhere, you've got to make those plans work. Right. I just I was just going to ask him. You can't plan for all of these different facets that have to come into play in a situation like that. So, how do you then respond to all of these needs? Well, um, you got to rely on experience, uh, you know, knowledge. Um, even though I was with the state police, uh, having the uh, county emergency management director there, uh, you know, gives you an idea. We're we're as far as local lodging goes, um, uh, you know, the their contacts for the uh, American Red Cross and the Salvation Army comes in to feed. Um, that's where that partnership comes in at. That's mm. where, you know, you're not fighting the battle yourself, but you have other agencies uh, that you are dealing with that you have to uh, uh, work with and depend on because of their knowledge in their, in their specific area. So, mm. it's, uh, you know, as we're we're looking for horse feed you know it's it's not a better person than the guy that runs the emergency management side of it because he knows what's in his county and um you know as, as far as lodging goes and 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 the food and all that it's it's just uh you reach out and and you know there was a, there was emotionally it was uh a very um uh, uh trying event and uh, then you have to also think of what or what are the responders dealing with? First of all, it's, you know, it, it was the day that our nation got attacked. Um, and so you have that you're dealing with emotionally. You're witnessing one of the one of the major uh, events that happened during that attack. And you know that there was lives lost and and um, and it's like uh, uh, having that. Um, uh, critical stress uh, support was also important there. And at a magnitude, though, that you have such a huge response there, hundreds of people there uh, that, that, that can actually handle that. And uh, again, it's, it was, it's a bunch of different agencies that work together to try to, um, to, try to make that response uh, uh, as, as um, uh, as in line as possible, meeting all the needs. Thank you, Bud. Chris, can I pick up on, on that, what Bud just said about the stress, um, the anxiety, the different things that people are managing in their minds and in their hearts and in their spirits as they're responding to situations small and big. How do you train your teams to deal with the stresses that come with the role in the emergency response? So we have uh, an agency within the county that uh, we turn to immediately uh, 
as things like this unfold. Um, you know, one of the things uh, in the last 15 years that I've been here, um, we've had um, 15 line of duty deaths of emergency responders, of wow. which we had to uh, work with uh, the agencies and the families and, and try to uh, work through those. So uh, it's always a, a constant. And um, I don't know that we do a very good job in uh, addressing that uh, individually across the agencies outside of what is in place now. But I know that uh, any opportunity we get uh, for training or to uh, work in that particular area, we we take advantage of it immediately and 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 work through it. And and happily, I think we can say that we have an extremely uh, strong and large network, uh, you know, family, if you will, that's our work family that uh, helps us go through uh, mm-hmm. those incidents. And um, and then being uh, as being an emergency responder, we've we've all been uh, imparted to to do the job, and then uh, we work afterwards in in that. And I don't know um, of anybody that's ever been left without trying to, uh, to help them if they need something, you know, uh, we may be a County of 360,000 people, but, uh, there's, there's only about 500 responders. And I'll bet that if we don't know everybody, somebody knows somebody else and, and, uh, we work through it that way. So we have that as an advantage to the system, but, uh, we're always looking for new and better ways to deal with that. And, and that's, that's how we deal with it. Um. So Chris, just as we wrap up, because I know that you, you and your team are busy, I'd love to get each of you to just share one or two thoughts for our aspiring emergency managers or those that are emergency managers now and they're thinking we want to take that next step in our career, a bigger responsibility or maybe move to another part of emergency management. What would you say is one or two experience or preparations or principles they would really benefit from developing, maybe training or education? Maybe we can go around and each of you can just give your thoughts on that. Career advice. Michael, you want to start with that? <laughs> Thanks. You put me right on the spot. Um, there, the being in the emergency services is a 24 hour a day type job, no matter what, but you also have to have the, the time away so you can rejuvenate and and get back into it so the biggest thing that i would say is you you make yourself available but there also has to be time for you for your family great thank you michael yeah and i would agree with michael i i've had the opportunity to to travel 48 states on my motorcycle on my harley davidson and that's what i do um, and I get to see this great nation we have, and and then um, I'm able to come back and, and really go at it. And uh, that's that's probably very important. And I think the other part is that the culture of safety should be in every part of your fiber. And uh, if you don't feel that it is, 
then it might not be the right thing for you because it really the job never ends and you're always wanting to make sure that uh, you can look for the solutions and and there is solutions to every problem and and if you just try to uh, think of what that solution might be you will find your way through uh, any catastrophe or disaster or whatever and and that's that's the real key if you're a problem solver i think you have a, a great career thanks chris bud well i have to repeat the the uh, as michael started out you know the family is important and your time off is important and i've been married 43 years so um you know just the other day it, it was uh my wife was was saying that you know um, when can we turn these fire radios off? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, because they've been on for 43 years and, and all that other stuff, but she's part of it as well and and all that. But I have to th think that the biggest thing is, you know, two things is, uh, first of all, is you got to lead by example. And, um, and you have to, uh, uh, you know, egos have no part in emergency management. Once, once you, um, uh, once the ego comes in, it overpowers you, and to the point where uh, it becomes your ego becomes more important than your mission. And mm. that's something that we say here an awful lot: is you know, what are we doing here? You know, and and because you get a lot of high-powered decisions that you have to make, uh, a lot of requests that comes in, and all that other stuff, and you really have to go back to your basic mission. What are we doing here to, to make those decisions? And your ego, uh, because you have this like sense of power, has no fit fit into it. And with that, then you have to have the ability to build relationships. It's it's um, there's no uh, there's there's no fine rule of building a relationship with the with the uh, exception of uh, you know being able to cross whatever line it is possible. Because, um, and, uh, you know, the best tool for that's a handshake. Uh, but mm. you have to be able to work with your partners that are out there. And, again, leaving the ego aside and, uh, uh, you know, accepting what they have as their part of the, uh, their mission. Um, because uh, you can't do it alone. And, uh, you know, every, there's no... There's no catastrophe. There's no disaster. That's a uh, a one entity response. You know, you have a an accident. You have police, fire, and ambulances responding to it. You know, it's you have a house fire. You have police, fire, and in emergency management, that's that um, those entities even grow depending on the size, and so you have to be able to work with work with others. Thank you, Bud. Just to summarize for everybody, um, have time away. Um, have your passions and travel as well. Um, make sure that that culture is inside your DNA of emergency management. Make sure it's really the thing that, that gets you awake. And uh, leave your egos out. It has no place in emergency management. And to build relationships. I think that's great advice. So I really want to thank the three of you for giving your time today to share your wisdom and your experiences with us, to our students, our faculty, and those watching the recording. Chris, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for bringing your team. Thank you for the work that you do. Our pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
And those of you that are watching the recording, if you are an emergency manager and you'd like to get all the experience and training that you have recognized and you would like to complete a bachelor degree or a master's degree, UARD, uh, our university, has emergency managers who are part of our faculty team and we can give you academic credit for your experience, your training and for what you do because we recognize that you bring incredible talent, incredible experiences, and incredible skill set to the table. So we'd love to help you get your academic goals reached as well as your career as well. So we look forward to seeing you on our next emergency management video cast. Thank you, gentlemen.